Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. It begins the first Russian tanks roll into rebel-held Ukraine, live to the region. News Justin, the Queen, sick with COVID, pulls out of a virtual audience. We take you to Windsor Castle for an update. Happening now, Australia's most wanted in the process of being extradited. And a deadly crash and an alleged dangerous rider put e-scooters' safety under scrutiny. Are laws tough enough? First to Ukraine, where our embassy is closed tonight. Officials right now planning a way out for the Australians who want to leave. Vladimir Putin has stationed his soldiers on Ukrainian land he now claims is Russian. This is where they're being positioned, Donetsk and Lugansk, regions held since 2014 by Moscow-backed separatists. Live to our Europe correspondent, Sarah Greenolch in Lviv. The Russian president says the soldiers he sent are peacekeepers, but the West isn't buying it, Sarah. And good evening. This talk of peacekeeping is, as Western leaders have described it, essentially nonsense. These Russian troops have been invited into these separatist-held areas by the leaders themselves. They've been defying Ukraine's rule in these areas for the past eight years. What is unclear at this stage is if these Russian troops will remain in these rebel-held territories or they will try to see, uh, capture more land. And what is quite concerning is in the past few minutes, the Kremlin's top spokesman has said that the independent states that Russia is now uh, officially recognising actually do extend beyond the existing front line, which indicates that they will be trying to capture more land. Over the past few days, since the end of last week, the shelling in those areas has intensified. In the past 24 hours, two Ukrainian soldiers have been killed, 18 injured, and Western leaders are of the belief that this is a pretext for war. So how has the rest of Europe been responding in the past few hours? And we have had a huge uh, development in the past half an hour or so with the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz announcing that he will be not certifying Nord Stream 2. Now, this is this huge gas pipeline project which runs directly from Russia to Germany through the Baltic Sea. And it has the potential to deliver enough energy to supply 26 million German households each year. The Chancellor saying that the situation has fundamentally changed, a new assessment of how Germany Germany's energy supplies can be secured is now being carried out. No one was expecting this and the announcement has already seen a surge in global oil prices. Germany over the past few weeks has been criticised for being comparatively soft on Russia and for not uh, being supportive enough of Ukraine. It hasn't sent weapons here unlike other countries. So this announcement is surprising, a very powerful uh, punishment, if you will, that the Kremlin probably isn't expecting and far more significant than anything we've seen so far from the United States or the EU. In the next half an hour, we are expecting that Boris Johnson will outline the economic sanctions to be imposed by the UK. Sarah, Lviv, where you are, is where diplomat, diplomats are being evacuated to, considered somewhat safer. But what's the sentiment there on the streets? Is it feared Russian troops will slowly make their way over? 
and this city is 1200 kilometres or so from the front line. It's two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon here. I'm not sure if you can see, but it is really busy. People are out, they are living their lives, they're going to work, they are trying to get on with things as normal. But we have now been in Ukraine for almost five weeks and there has definitely been a shift in people's attitudes and mentality from when we first arrived. And that has definitely changed in the past 24 hours since Putin made that extraordinary speech on state television in Russia where he basically lamented the collapse of the Soviet Union. He said that modern day Ukraine was created by Russia, that Ukraine has never really been independent and is a puppet of the United States. So anyone who was sceptical or doubting that there could be a full-scale invasion is certainly feeling a lot more nervous uh, this evening. And we've also, as you say, had that news that diplomats, both from Australia and the US, who had already been moved from the capital, Kiev, here to Lviv, are now being uh, moved to places like Poland and Romania. That could be uh, temporary. It really depends on how things play out here, Ange, in the next hours uh, and, and the coming days. OK, thank you. As always, Sarah Greenalt. NBC correspondent Bree Jackson is in Washington, D.C. Bree, we're expecting to see the White House widen sanctions in the coming hours. Good morning, Angela. That's absolutely the right. The United States already imposed limited sanctions against the two Russian-backed breakaway regions of eastern Ukraine and are expected to announce sanctions against Russia this morning. President Biden signed that executive order against the two Russian separatist regions of, U of Ukraine, prohibiting new investment, trade, and financing in those areas. Now, Russia continues to deny plans of an attack and really accuse the West of, quote, up unfounded panic. Later today, Secretary of State Blinken is expected to meet with Ukraine's foreign minister here in Washington, D.C. Will U.S. troops on the ground in Europe be likely to take any action if the situation escalates? Well, right now, the White House, as well as military officials here in the U.S., have really doubled down on saying that U.S. troops will not be going into Ukraine. That's something that we've heard uh, President Biden repeatedly say. Uh, and that's really why they're trying to stress sanctions and de-escalation as a method of the U.S. getting involved. But as of right now, the administration is staying strong against sending, against sending U.S. troops into Ukraine. And what are you hearing about what's going to happen to that summit between Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden. Now Russian soldiers are in Ukraine. Well, that's the big question, Angela, and that's something that uh, we'll all be keeping our eyes on. Uh, we do know that Secretary of State Blinken will be meeting uh, with his Russian counterpart on Thursday, and that meeting is going to be key because during that meeting, they'll discuss whether or not it makes sense for President Biden and Vladimir Putin to meet down the road. And a lot of that really depends on Russia's actions in the coming days. The administration has stressed if Russia, if Russia continues its aggression and does invade Ukraine, that those meetings just won't happen. Okay, thanks so much. Bree Jackson in Washington, D.C. Let's go to political reporter Rob Scott at Parliament House. Rob, our embassy is closed tonight. What's next for Australian officials and citizens in Ukraine? Oh, you're right, Ange. The embassy has uh, moved from Kiev to the western city of Lviv about two weeks ago. Around the same time, the majority of staff and diplomats and their families were all evacuated. Only three of those diplomats remain in the country, but they've now been ordered to get out. 
They're being sent to eastern Poland and to Romania to help Australians wanting to flee Ukraine. The government says it also stands ready to assist any Ukrainians hoping to come here to Australia. It's working through a range of visa options, including extra temporary protection visas and extending the visas of Ukrainians already here. So, Rob, how is the government planning to make Russia pay for what it says is an act of aggression? Well, Angela, the Foreign Minister, Maurice Payne, says the government is coordinating closely with the UK, the US and the European Union to ensure there are what she says are deep and serious costs if Russia does invade. And that means extending sanctions, which the minister says will be severe. Now, those sanctions will target key Russian individuals, likely Putin supporters, as well as entities the government says is responsible for undermining Ukraine's sovereignty. Now, the Prime Minister has backed that up, saying Australia is in lockstep with its allies and will follow suit. And he's expected to give more details on exactly what those sanctions will look like and how they'll work tomorrow. But he hasn't changed his position when it comes to military involvement. He's standing firm on his commitment that Australia will not be sending troops. OK, thanks so much, Rob. Let's take you now to that news just in from Windsor Castle. Our Europe Bureau Chief Hugh Whitfield is live there for us. Hugh, we've learned the Queen is pulling out of official engagements while sick with COVID. Yeah, and just in the last hour or so, we've learned that these virtual engagements the Queen was due to take part in today have been cancelled. We are told that she's continuing to suffer from mild, cold-like symptoms uh, and that she will continue, though, with light duties. So it's very limited information that we get. What are we left to read into when it comes to what we are getting? Well, it would suggest that the Queen isn't feeling up to it would appear, appearing, appearing on a, a Zoom call or similar, uh, usually with visitors who are at Buckingham Palace while she remains here at Windsor Castle. We don't know if the Queen's uh, health has deteriorated in the last couple of days. It's pretty clear, though, that she's woken up here this morning and has taken that decision, along with, no doubt, advice from her staff, including the royal physicians, that she will not be taking part in these virtual engagements. Now, there are a number of other uh, things in her diary this week, including a weekly audience with Boris Johnson. For most of the pandemic, they have been virtual or usually just a phone call. Uh, this week, we expect that it will be a phone call and we will be keeping an eye, obviously, on whether that simple phone call will take place and if indeed the Queen is up to that. OK, thanks so much, Hugh. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cosy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewellery, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Tomorrow, one of the country's most wanted fugitives will be extradited from far north Queensland to Victoria. Live now to Georgia Chumley for more. Georgie, what happens now for the man dubbed the head and fingers killer? 
Good evening, Ange. Well, we know that security will be a priority for the extradition of Graham Potter. There are concerns that he's fallen out with his former alleged criminal associates and that could put his security at risk. He will be transported and extradited from Mareeba about an hour inland of Cairns to Victoria tomorrow, where it's expected on Friday he will face court. Now, the 64-year-old fugitive is a convicted murderer. He spent 15 years behind bars for the 1981 grisly murder of Kim Barry and he's also been charged back in 2010 with conspiracy to murder for allegedly uh, being hired to kill someone at the wedding of the son of Mick Gatto also being involved in a $440 million drug plot. Now that will all unfold uh, when he, he goes to court tomorrow and um, detectives will also be looking into what's been happening over the past 12 years and if anyone's been helping him. Yeah, the quaint town he was caught in, they want answers, don't they? How did Graham Potter hide out in their community right under their noses for so long? Well, Ange, that's a question that Queensland and Victoria Police are also looking to answer, as well as just the 1,400 residents of Ravenshoe. It is a place where people go to get away from the hustle and bustle of life. It's, you know, up in very far north Queensland, and there is a bit of a don't ask, don't tell mentality up there. But certainly, um, he was living in a house that was that is part of state housing. Police had visited that home to try and locate Potter, but they hadn't been able to do that. There is a woman in the town that runs the local IGA. She says that she noticed a man that looked like Potter on or in her store. She sent the CCTV to police two years ago in April 2020, but that they didn't respond. She called them and they still didn't come out and ask any questions. So I guess there are questions around whether that tipped police off or if that was a missed opportunity. But a 12-year search now finished and now the court saga begins, which is will no doubt take years. Yes, and quite intriguing. OK, thanks so much, Georgie. More states on the East Coast are taking the step of removing mask mandates. Victoria and Queensland are joining New South Wales, ditching masks in most indoor settings. Daniel Andrews said the changes in his state will take effect this Friday night, shortly after Dominic Perrottet drops restrictions that morning. Anastasia Palaszczuk is lifting the rules there on March 4. Parts of New South Wales are mopping up right now after being hammered by severe storms. Tom Saker is in Sydney, where some suburbs received a month's rainfall in just two hours. Good evening, Tom. Uh, good evening to you, Ange. Yeah, this was a storm that took countless thousands by surprise. We're currently in Walleye Creek in Sydney's inner southwest. This was one of the particularly hardest hit suburbs. Uh, water levels here only 20 minutes ago were just below my waist height, and unfortunately, it was also council cleanup. So there is uh, plenty of rubbish on the street. That car there has been uh, lifted up onto the sidewalk. Such was the power of these floodwaters. The SES is still very much cleaning up tonight. They've been stretched today, responding to about 750 call-outs and incidents, most of those occurring in uh, the Sydney metro area, responding to more than 600 
calls for help and incidents. Uh, they've also uh, been involved in about 20 flood rescues, mostly people who've been trapped in their cars, uh, which have been submerged or swept away in floodwaters. And we expect that they will have a very tough job ahead of them for the next couple of days. Uh, the already very much understrained transport network was again understrained today because of the road closures and because Sydney train timetable was running on uh, a skeleton schedule. So commuters again did it very tough. Uh, at the airport as well, uh, just about 10 minutes from here, a number of planes were forced to circle around to the runway to try and land again. Such was the force of the wind and the rain. Uh, baggage handlers were also forced off the tarmac at one point for a couple of hours because of an electrical storm and that forced people into a wait for several hours for their luggage. Unfortunately, it does look as though the weather will be hanging around over the next couple of days. Uh, it will be looking very much like this uh, until the end of the week. Maybe a touch reprieve on Saturday, but then again into a similar pattern on Sunday. So at least we know now what we have ahead of us. But certainly this morning, uh, residents all across Sydney and New South Wales didn't expect what they uh, experienced today. Ange. Yeah, sure, we're taken by surprise. OK, thanks so much, Tom. A father is tonight beginning his life sentence for the murders of his estranged daughter and her husband. Rochelle Brown joins us now from Melbourne with more. Rochelle, the killer dad was in a jealous rage when he shot the newly married couple. And Lindinda and Viton Musai, rather, had been estranged from their father for quite some time. They'd just started their lives together and had recently celebrated their first wedding anniversary when Osman Shabdafaj struck, murdering them both in cold blood on the front veranda of their home. He was angry that his um, daughter hadn't told him about the wedding and furious that his uh, son-in-law hadn't um, informed them that he was going to get married and asked for permission. So um, he struck and murdered them in cold blood on that front veranda um, and asked for and shot them both in the head in close range, rather, who then rang the doorbell and fled. Now, the couple's sister-in-law answered the door and would have been confronted by that horrific scene. Um, the court today heard she'll forever be haunted by that moment. After watching her sister take her final breath, the family also expressed outside court today that nothing will ever make up for that. No judgment will ever be enough, you know, it's a life sentence for us. He's still here, they're not here, so, you know, there's not much we can do. The only thing we're looking forward to is the fact that we can finally move on and not be dragged back to that day. Shabdafaj, who still hasn't shown any remorse for his crimes, will be eligible for parole in 35 years. Ange? OK, thanks so much, Rochelle. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
A tragedy has thrust the laws and education around e-scooters under scrutiny. Perth boy Callum Gibson died from catastrophic injuries suffered after colliding with a car while riding one on Sunday. His friend, who'd also been riding an e-scooter, is in a serious but stable condition in hospital. The driver was not seriously injured. Tonight, Callum is being remembered as cheeky and always up for a laugh. Western Australia's Road Safety Commissioner Adrian Warner is with us now. Adrian, a tragedy over the weekend. We know the boy's dad has asked people to wear a helmet. Do you have any other messages to riders? Yeah, thank you, Angela. Uh, can I first extend my condolences to the family and, and acknowledge how devastating this must be for them? And, and I really want to thank the boy's father for, for just acknowledging and coming public with the importance of, uh, of wearing a helmet. And uh, my, my overall message is to be safe and sensible and uh, to recognise that these uh, these devices, uh, whilst very popular, they're not toys. And um, I have basically five simple uh, tips, I think, for people who are riding e-scooters to, to ride them safely and sensible. And the first one is that uh, these are limited to 16 years and above. So uh, for people uh, who are younger than that, there are lower powered devices to use, but the 16 and above is the first rule. Wear a helmet, uh, as we've already talked about, it's important to be seen and be heard, be visible and, and uh, be able to be heard by others. It's important to travel in the safe places. So that's on low speed roads, that's on bike paths, that's on bike lanes where they're marked. Anywhere we, we guide people to wear, uh, ride bicycles is the safe place to ride e-scooters. And most importantly, ride at a safe speed. Um, we do know that these, these devices are capable of going uh, high speeds. Uh, we've limited them to 25 kilometres per hour. That's a safe speed and we'll monitor that as we go. And the other thing I think is very important is these, uh, these are not toys. It's not just riders, though. Those are my tips for riders. Um, everybody has a role to play and, and drivers of motor vehicles, just like they have to look out for pedestrians, motorbikes and uh, bicycle riders, these new uh, e-ridables, which are growing in popularity, they just, you just have to add them to your list of uh, things to be aware of. Well, thank you so much for your time, Adrian Warner, with some great advice there. And an e-scooter rider has faced court in Queensland today over an alleged dangerous driving incident. Police body cam footage shows the man driving at 45 kilometres an hour towards an officer as he was conducting a speed check. He allegedly swerved onto the wrong side of the road and refused to stop when waved down by the senior constable who was injured in the incident. Thank you so much for your company this evening. From the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Angela Cox.